How's it going, everybody? Derek from Make Media Studios, and this week's guest is Elle Byer. She is a performing artist, a filmmaker, and a entrepreneur. Elle, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so where, um, for everyone out there that's watching this podcast, tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, well, I worked in Hollywood for about 10 years as an actress and stunt player. Um, had some amazing opportunities to travel the world, uh, work in different countries, worked on independent martial arts movies. Um, I also graduated film school in 2005. And it was a really exciting time because it was uh, the same year that the first uh, consumer affordable DSLR cameras were coming out and HD was oh. coming out. So it really democratized the playing field for uh, independent filmmakers because mm -hmm. uh, we were seeing this, you know, shift in the industry and we would, you know, be able to, you know, make mm -hmm. films um, for, you know, so much less than what we were used to. And uh, and also that was around the time Netflix was kind of, you know, getting the streaming thing going. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a really exciting time for indie filmmakers. So I always knew I wanted autonomy in my media career. And uh, so, yeah, that was uh, we had amazing experiences in L.A. And then uh, I my husband and I, we started a family and the kids started coming along. I, I had my first child and then I had my and then I found out we were pregnant with twins and oh, wow. uh, that prompted us to uh, sell our condo uh, that, mm -hmm. that we had in L.A. And then we uh, moved up north and uh, just sort of, you know, try to figure out what we were going to do. Uh, Next, the yeah. the, the work-life balance, you know, of yeah. juggling a family, but also uh, working, um, you know, in media. And I basically took a break for several years to mm -hmm. uh, just concentrate and focus on raising my kids and uh, my husband uh, went to law school and I started two online businesses uh, okay. so that I could work from home. And then uh, my husband and I, we were just sort of on the side, just continuing to teach martial arts out of our garage uh, simply nice. because we had lots of, you know, neighbors who were interested mm -hmm. and intrigued and wanted to know more about like what we did in LA. And they said, you know, why don't you guys, you know, open a school or a dojo and we we're kind of like, ah, you know, yeah. not really <laughs> interested in that, you know, even though we, we love it, you know, um, I just right. was like, I don't know how we'll survive. Cause you know, at, and at that time I was pregnant with my fourth child and I was like, that's really risky. It's a super volatile industry. And, um, yeah. and then my husband and I, we were training with the parkour community, you know, just on the side and, yeah. uh, I know it's, it's just, it's, just it's an extra thing on yeah, the side. You have extra. so many, yeah. so many things <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we were training with the parkour community and then they kept, you know, like saying, hey, we really need like a gym or something. We keep getting kicked out of our spaces and we don't have okay. like a, a spot that we can go to to train. And and um, it occurred to me and I was like, well, I was like, if we, you know, opened a, an academy and keep it really diversified, you know, it might work. So um, sort of this vision came to mind and I thought, well, we could open a parkour martial arts, aerial arts academy. And I was familiar with aerial because I worked in LA and, okay. um, you know, every gym you go to, there's aerialists and stilt walkers. Can, and, you, know, can you give me else. a little bit on, give me a little bit more insight on aerialist. I guess I actually yeah. don't know enough. What is, what, what's the, what's that? Um, it's like the Cirque du Soleil stuff that you see, ah. you know, uh, aerial silts, Lyra, 
Um, okay. There's all sorts of different shapes that um, or apparatuses. Like sometimes you'll see a big cube or a chandelier or something. Mm. But it just kind of really depends on uh, the show. Um, Got it. But I just thought, hey, that might work here. Um, I didn't know if it where, was going to where's, work. Where's here, by the way? So where are you guys located? North? So Sacramento area, specifically okay. Lincoln, which is okay. this like sub suburb, you know? It, okay. And yeah. um, it's like this kind of like really family friendly, family focused. Most people like have, everybody has like a regular normal job, right? So right. <laughs> yeah. um, there's not like this, you know, eclectic artistic scene. But mm -hmm. one thing I did know about the community was how active everyone was. I mean, everybody put their kids in sports and mm -hmm. uh, just everybody exercises. And in our county specifically, we have a lot of Olympians. And mm -hmm. um, so sports and athletics and um, movement is a big deal. Yeah. So I thought, well, something alternative might be interesting to people who don't really want to do traditional sports and turned out to be. Right. And um, we were able to open and within the first two years expand. And now we have a, a 10,000 square foot facility wow. Um, wow. that houses about 500 athletes. Wow. So, yeah, we um, so that's what we've been doing for the past 10 years. And on top of that, we um, wanted to expand our brand to content marketing and creating cinematic narratives around movement. So nice. we started making films and content uh, with uh, a lot of our athletes. Mm -hmm. And um, now a lot of our athletes are working in the industry. They've either gone to L.A. Um, or they, you know, are, yeah. you know, working up here or San Francisco right. area, you know, doing doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> At least pre-COVID wow. pre anyways. <laughs> Pre-COVID, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a very interesting story. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a journey that's a, yeah. gone a long ways. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't you didn't in picture that uh, that was where you were going to be 10 years later. Um, no, I never thought I'd have, you know, an academy. I, I just, right. you know, working down in L.A., I, I always knew I wanted autonomy in my media career. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I just mm -hmm. knew that um, I would be able to do something with yeah. it, you know, on my own. Um, I wouldn't have to work in a studio system. I wouldn't, um, need to work for some big media conglomerate, which I had done that. I, I worked for <clears throat> a very large media company, one of the largest in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> no, you're good. You're and, good. and so I had decided early on, um, that I wanted to do something in the realm of just independent film. And, uh, so and specifically, you know, I'm a martial artist and I love martial arts yeah. and movement. And I, um, you know, want to build stories around mm -hmm. movement and the sort of the lore that's around martial arts. <laughs> that's cool. And now yeah. you're coming, you're coming full circle now. And, and you're, and now that you have, um, now that you're up there and you're coming full circle mm -hmm. and starting to make those, that content you want to make on your yeah. own. Yeah. I think you can be pretty much anywhere, you know, to, yeah. uh, to do, to create. I think you yeah. <laughs> know. Yeah. Well, as so to give people advice here on the on the podcast, um, do you, every time that you you didn't think you were going to be here ten years later, but every time you made these like changes and you like kind of evolved or you mm -hmm. you made your neck, what, how would you um, explain your process of of doing that to people? You know what I mean? Like what what went through your head? Um, well, my process is usually just sort of like prioritizing. You know what's most important mm -hmm. to me. You know, it's like mm -hmm. and um, for me, I prioritize my work-life balance. You know, I want to, Absolutely. you know, I want to have, you know, 
time with my family. I want to be present with them. Um, I want to create, um, I want to train and work out and develop myself, you know, as, mm-hmm. you know, as an artist. And, um, so it took a while to kind of figure out what that work-life balance was. You know, I think a lot of it's just mm-hmm. sort of trial and error and figuring out what that looks like. And you have like different mm-hmm. seasons, you have certain seasons where you're working on a project. So you're so much more focused on that project. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then there's other seasons where you're just like, well, I just got to take a break from it all. I've got to pull back and just, mm-hmm. um, you know, focus on other things. So, uh, that's been my process. Um, you know, where I think in every artist, artist mm-hmm. journey, you have times where you're really prolific and then you have times where you're sort of just, you're cultivating, you know, mm-hmm. the cultivating the moments that will come later. So, um, right. and, and being okay with that. I think a lot mm-hmm. of artists feel like this pressure to create all the time and they need to, mm-hmm. you know, constantly put something out and maybe that's the season you're in. Um, but that's not necessarily going to be where you're at all the time. And, right. you know, and I've just felt like, um, for me, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to get the bills paid, you know, <laughs> you've got to yeah. take care of business, you know, you've got to, yeah. yeah. you know, you got to, you have priorities, you know, um, but, uh, creating is just like a part of me, you know, like it is with, you know, with every artist, yeah. you know, it's just like, you have to do it, even if it's mm-hmm. just like creating one post or writing a poem or writing a scene. For me, I like to write a lot of monologues, uh, just cause I'll mm-hmm. have, characters come to mind and you know i just have to you know write in the the voice of this character and i have no idea if i'm going to actually use it in something you know um but i know it's it's going somewhere so i gotta create you know and um so yeah and then having it's a it's a muscle yeah i mean creation creating creating is a muscle and you have to flex that muscle when you were talking about those cultivating times i think that it's sometimes hard for people to realize they're in those moments mm-hmm. when when things start to slow down for me like either business it's sometimes hard for me to transition into making more youtube making things for myself or transition back to doing work yeah. that you don't you, you look at it later you look back on it and go oh those were the down times and maybe right. as you go along maybe it, you, you start to notice it right you start to realize when those moments are yeah and i think you have to live your life too like mm-hmm. you know live you know, your life experiences, because that's going to be like this translate rich texture. Yeah, that you add mm-hmm. to your creative works. And, yep. um, you know, it, it builds your perspective um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that you want to share yeah. at some point. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, my wife and uh, just kind of some of the history here. So I'm the filmmaker and the creative uh, my wife wants to go to law school. So it's kind of funny how you said that your husband went to law school. Uh, my wife is in the journey of going to law school. Okay. So that's where, that's where, that's where we're at. Opposite yeah. of you and me, I went, I lived in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. I was, I just moved down here the, na- the 19th of last month. Uh-huh. So this yes. is my first month, first month in LA. Um, I like it so far, but it's competitive down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's, is. <laughs> it's, it's especially yeah. during this COVID time too. Yeah. I mean, it's real hard. Like I'm a full-time freelancer and I'm trying to find work and, um, that's an interesting juggle. Yeah. I mean, I, what, what I found down in LA and this was pre COVID obviously, and this was in the mid two thousands mm-hmm. was, um, the good thing about LA is you're always around other creatives, um, that are, you know, have a similar goal to you. So I feel like it's not hard to find uh, collaborators and yeah. uh, people to help you 
you know, develop your muscle, you know, your creative mm-hmm. muscles. Um, but yeah, it's, it's competitive. Uh, at the same time though, um, you know, I, I believe there's always, uh, especially when it comes to filmmaking, there's really something for everyone. So mm-hmm. every person you meet, um, can lead to, you know, it can lead to a job basically. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I do miss about LA is, you know, that, you know, large network of potential collaborators you can, mm-hmm. um, be with. And here it's, it's been different. Uh, most of my collaborators are, you know, people that I've known for a really long time, um, that I know are really committed to this process, mm-hmm. uh, or their students, you know, that come into the fold that really want, you know, to be a part of this scene. And so I find, you know, my process has been for the past 10 years, it's sort of like building a tribe, you know, of, you know, artists and athletes and collaborators. So it's a long process and that's definitely a journey. Um, But I don't know. I call it the Bruce Lee model. (laughs) Explain explain that one. I call it the Bruce Lee model because that's basically what he did. You know, he had a school and uh, trained with his students and and he understood the power of story and, mm-hmm. and knew um, that was going to be import- an important aspect of how he shared, you know, his philosophies of life and mm-hmm. um, his, you know, martial philosophy. And, um, you know, his life and his work really resonated with me as a kid. So um, it wasn't until later on I, I came to recognize it as, as a as a model, you know, like, wow, yeah. you can, you, can um, you know, if you can't find collaborators, well, teach collaborators, you know, bring, yeah, bring that makes people sense. up. And, and that's basically what you're doing. You're building this like educational YouTube channel and, um, Trying, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's really cool. <laughs> I think it's kind of, that's kind of cool. You're saying with the collaborators, um, that's during the COVID time, it's hard to find collaborators, it's hard to go out and film, but mm-hmm. making these, um, collaborating with you for this mm-hmm. podcast and, and collaborating with other creatives outside of just LA with the, the internet is changed, mm-hmm. changing that with the yeah. ability to do a zoom call with you. You know, we're 400 miles away, well, 350 or something like that, I think, to Sacramento. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, I think that's, that's really cool. Um, I wanted to know more about your martial arts, though. When, when did you start in martial arts? Um, well, I didn't really start in martial arts till I was 18. Um, but my dad was a professional boxer. So I was mm-hmm. familiar with the fighting arts and I had always been training. I was a competitive athlete. I wrestled in high school. Yes, I was one of those girls. <laughs> That's cool. I just was really into sports and um, just really physical and active. And I um, I wasn't introduced to Chinese martial arts until I met my husband. And okay. uh, his uncle was the general of the Taiwanese army. And so oh, he wow. has a, a family lineage in the martial arts. I see your cat in the background. So cute. <laughs> 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 I love cats. He just, <laughs> he like, just woke up. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably in the video here down here at the bottom. He's, he sleeps by my window. Whenever time I come in the office, yeah. he, um, he follows me. And in the middle of the podcast, he'll climb on things and make noise. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw him that's stretching. That's our baby. Yeah. I saw him stretching back there. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so that's Toby. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's a cute cat. We've had him for about a year now. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but you were saying your husband, um, your husband's uncle was it uncle or brother. Um, his uncle was the general okay. of the Taiwanese army and, and he has like a family lineage in the martial arts. And, uh, so yeah, he introduced me to Chinese martial arts and, and I'm half Chinese. I just didn't know that side of, you know, that okay. whole thing. And as soon as I started moving, um, doing some of the movements, I felt like I was speaking a language that I had 
Uh-huh. I, I was meant to speak, you know, this, that's cool. This, this sort of like connection to my an- ancestry. And so yeah. I got completely obsessed with it and started training six days a week. And, uh, then I, you know, branched out and studied lots of other martial arts and, okay. uh, you know, started entering tournaments and doing it competitively. And then, uh, yeah, it just kind of, it was its own journey. and <laughs> Yeah, that's really um, cool. Yeah. So. I wish I would have stuck with it. I did Taekwondo okay, um, cool. when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I Ernie Reyes uh, Taekwondo there yeah. in the Bay Area. <laughs> it was during during the Surf Ninja days, actually. So oh, I remember okay. Ernie Reyes, Ernie Reyes Jr., and I watched Surf Ninjas as a kid, and they were in it, and it was just such a big deal to, like, <laughs> the people I was training with were, like, in this Hollywood movie, and I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I got to, like, brown belt, and then now I've, I've forgot it all. <laughs> I did boy I did Boy Scouts more and then I started, you know, camping and things like that. Yeah. But um, um <laughs> wish I would have I wish I would have done more. Um I was gonna say um oh I for, I lost my train of thought there. Um one second. I'm gonna cut this part out. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> no, after oh I, yeah. So after the um after you went from martial arts, where'd you transition into going into film school? Uh, I actually had a really profound experience in high school. I never, I was really super shy. I never wanted to be an actor or be on stage. And um, I ended up having this really profound experience that, you know, got me involved with the arts. And uh, this was, um, this was in high school. And I, like I said before, I'd always been an athlete and a competitive one at that. And I, my freshman year of high school, I had to take a performing art and it was a requirement and I didn't know what to do um, because I didn't want to do choir and I didn't want to do band and I yeah. didn't really know what drama was. And my brother had taken it and he said that I should do it because all you do is play games. And so that registered in my brain that we were going to play like athletic games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't even know what drama was. And then the first day of class, um, our teacher told us to get on stage and like mime an activity. And I was, I, I, I did it, but I was like panicking inside the whole time. And I was okay. like, oh my gosh, is this what this class is about? Like, I'm going to have to like do stuff on stage, you know? And yeah. it really freaks me out. Um, and I was going to drop the class and I went to my school counselor and told them I couldn't do that sort of thing. I just, I was too, it just, it made me super nervous. And, and he's like, well, are you going to do choir then or band? And I was like, I can't, (laughs) I can't do, I can't can't do either of those. And he's like, well, since you've already done drama for a week, you know, why don't you just stick stick with it? And yeah. And, um, and so, and at my school, it was a requirement to do two years of performing arts. And so I was like, well. I'll stick it out this year. We'll see what happens next year. And um, I stuck it out the whole year and I just sort of adapted and got used Mm -hmm. to it. And it wasn't like torture after like the first semester. The first semester was just horrible. I hated every moment of it. And then the second semester, I was like, ah, it's not so bad. I'm kind of used to this now. And then I made it. And then I made friends, you know, in the class. Mm -hmm. And so the second year I, um, I did it because my friends wanted me to do it. And so I wanted to do something right. like wood shop or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, so, um, and so my best friend, you know, she convinced me to just take it again. And so the first like few months of the semester, um, there was like this weird thing that was happening in the school where they, like, these two girls um, did this 
presentation in second period history where like their version of utopia would be and their version of utopia would be taking all the blacks, Asians, Jews, and minorities to an island and setting the island on fire. And they did this presentation in class and I wasn't there. I had heard about it from people and I got really upset. I was like, that is not okay. And nobody was like standing up against it. They were just kind of talking about it matter of factly, kind of like laughing about it. And I thought like, what is wrong with people? I'm like, how how is there not like outrage? And how, how are they not being held accountable for Right. That, you know, and they're just able to do this and get away. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, that's like really, you know, you know, I just felt like like not good about the whole situation. Yeah. Unethical. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I, you know, I'm all for free speech, but it was also like they're, you know, they they didn't just do the presentation. They like sent it. They sent a note to my best friend who is who's black and they told Mm -hmm. her that she should just kill herself. So I was really super frustrated. I hadn't seen these girls, didn't know these girls. I'm like, who are these like horrible villains, <laughs> you know, right, in my right. school? Like, I don't understand. And um, then I saw the girls and they happened to look like supermodels. And I was like, what? I was like, how is it possible that they have all this power and influence? And it was because they were so beautiful. And it taught me the power of beauty. And uh, that was kind of like a silver lining from that, hmm. from that experience. And I thought, well... If all the girls want to be like them and all of the guys want to date them, well, that's a lot of leverage. And so right. I, I kind of had to figure out what I was going to do in that situation. And um, they they were in my geometry class. And one day, like I came in, they sat in the back. I sat in the front. I sat down and wasn't paying attention to what was going on in the classroom. But my friend, Luke, who was sitting next to me, he stood up and was like, what the you know, and, yep. and I was yep. like, what's going on? What happened? And he got up and there was like white pride signs like all over the classroom. And I didn't notice because I, I just walked in and sat in my seat and got my book out. Mm-hmm. And, and so he started te- tearing them down and then he ripped them up. And then he and the girls in the back, they were like laughing and he pointed at them and said, this is not funny. This is not a game. You should be ashamed right. of yourself. And, and what were the teachers of the faculty? Nothing. No one just they didn't nothing. do anything. No, um, nobody did anything. Where and where so, was where were where um, where was the school? So I roughly. Well, you don't have to give it, me. I don't. I don't want this to like be a representation of like because I I love my I actually love my hometown. I did experience right. a ton of racism. Um, I love my in, people in my hometown. Yeah. There's that too. So yeah. I understand. Yeah. yeah. So it was in Shasta County, and okay. um, which. There's a lot of, at the time it was, you know, in the nineties. So there was just a lot. My neighbor was a KKK member. So, and I was, I don't want to give too many details about my life, but I grew up on a cattle ranch, which is like, it's rural. And Mm. um, my dad would arm me with a gun since I was 11 years old, just in case, you know, just in case, case, you know, and so Anyways, <laughs> that's ter- it's just yeah, terrible, know, that, it's terrible that that happened. So but. so anyways, I'm getting to the profound experience, right? So <laughs> yeah. so this whole like thing was happening and I had already experienced racism my whole life, but I was surprised it was happening in my high school because right. there was diversity in my high school, very little, but you know, people mm-hmm. were, you know, I just didn't, you know, it just was surprising to me. So um, so I was really proud of my friend Luke for standing up to them. I was just like, wow. Absolutely. I was like, and I was just like, man, that's like courageous. And I, I wish I could be like that. You know, I wish I could say that, you know, and, 
And so it inspired me. And I thought, well, I want to say something too. I just don't know how I'm going to say it or what I'm going to say. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so um, at the time, I'd been watching a lot of Dave Chappelle. And I, okay. you know, I was obsessed with Dave Chappelle. And, um, and so I was like, I want to do a skit in, in drama class. And, okay. uh, and in drama class, the structure of the class was you come, uh, the teacher gives you a theme, you write a sketch mm-hmm. around it, and you perform it at the end of class. So um, in this class, it had, you know, people from all grade levels. And um, I guess you could say, like, school influencers were in there, too. Um, but I... We, we got the assignment and I told my partners, I was like, hey, I have an idea for a, a skit and I think I just want to write it. Why don't you guys just go get coffee? <laughs> and so, um, okay. you know, my partners were like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just go go do that. And I got yeah. this handled. And so they went and did, got coffee and I, um, I wrote the skit and it was like this satire and it was like the most racist satire that you could possibly imagine. And, nice. and in my mind, I thought, well, I have to take credibility away from these girls. Like they might mm-hmm. be beautiful and gorgeous, but they're not smart. And so if I can come up with a way to like outwit them and make them look like yeah. buffoons, you know, mm-hmm. if I can turn what they are into a buffoon and get yeah. everybody to laugh at them and to realize what idiots they are, it's going to mm-hmm. remove their power and it's going to remove their influence. And that was my thought process. And so right. I wrote this super offensive skit and, <laughs> and it was okay. Cause I was playing the lead and, um, <laughs> and, and it was centered around, you know, Asian American stereotypes and all the things. And, um, and I choreographed a death scene, you know, that was super brutal. And, um, my partners came back, they read the skit and they thought, this is their eyes were just they were like, like this is like really <laughs> offensive and i'm like yeah it's supposed to be and they're like well i think we might get suspended if we do this and i was like no way i was like okay. freedom of speech i'm like right there's no if way they can do if, if yeah. they can hang those signs and yeah. all that and do all the things they're doing yeah then why can't we do this yeah i was like no way and that there's like there's no way we're gonna get suspended trust me and they're like okay so we did the skit Um, and there was at first it had like a build to it where, you know, first it was just kind of sort of uncomfortable and then Mm. it got like more uncomfortable (laughs) and then really uncomfortable. (laughs) And, and so it was a build. And at the end, pretty much everybody was like, they went from like roaring laughter to total silence. And then, um, my teacher just like, was like, what was that? You know, at the end. And I was like, Oh, you know just like chalking it up to racism, how hilarious it is. And, you know, how I'm just like, it's hilarious, isn't it? And and the last scene was like this crazy thing where they like slit my throat and that just like blood, like I do this like choreographs of blood, you know, spewing thing. And and so that was the part where people got silent. You know, they're like, I don't, I'm a little unsettled by this. And I'm just like, right. Well, you're supposed to be, you know, so um so yeah, I, I had that experience and that actually changed the entire dynamic of my um, high school experience right. and in, in a positive way where um, I felt like I was heard and uh, people mm-hmm. understood and it did remove the power from these girls. And one of them decided she wasn't a racist anymore. 
And then the other one, <laughs> other one yeah. continued to be racist, but she didn't have any friends. So, um, so it was just one of those things where it changed this dynamic. And I thought, well, for me, I was like, if I can change my world with one dumb skit, mm-hmm. you know, what else can you do with story? And, yeah. and that became sort of like this obsession for me. And um, every time there was an assignment or whatever, I'd always make a film. And I, and that's sort of what transitioned me into filmmaking. And I, and I got really into theater. I started doing all the plays and I was part of this like dance, you know, theater group uh, called Club Cougar. And I just got really into it because I felt in my heart that it was really important and Mm -hmm. it was important to share story and uh, whatever your story is, you know, and it's important to share your experiences. And, and so I, uh, that's sort of where those martial arts and the, um, the filmmaking sort of merged. And I felt like I, you know, just studying Chinese martial arts, studying about my ancestry and where they came from. Um, it learning just gave, those stories. Yeah, it gave me a whole new perspective and actually learning, you know, simple things like weapons. You know, I just wanted to know, like, what, you know, what kind of weapons did they make and why did they make them? What was the political climate at the time? You know, why did they feel the need to make these weapons and what resources mm-hmm. did they have available to them? You know, was it, you know, just like a bamboo stick or was it a type of foil? Was it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, who had the steel? You know, if they didn't have steel, you know, why was that? It was because they were, there was some sort of feudal state that was, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I just got really into like martial arts lore and, okay. you know, trying to study it- like the history of you know, martial arts and the different types of martial arts and the different political climates that existed during that time and what fueled, you know, those needs, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, for self-defense and, um, you know, sort of like what led up to that. And um, what's interesting now is like we live in such a this hot political climate and really? <laughs> yeah, such a hot one. And, <laughs> no, it's true. And it's so, just so bad. Yeah. And as I guess as an Asian American woman, I, um, I understand, you know, the you know, the struggles of experiencing racism, but I also Mm -hmm. understand, you know, the, the complexities of wanting equality. And, um, part of that is because, uh, so much of my family experienced socialism and communism. And so it, there's like this whole, there's a lot of conversations that are happening and Mm -hmm. it's like, we all, we all want, you know, the same thing. Um, it's just like that process of how to get there. And, and, and it's, it is a really complex process because, uh, you can, you know, from my, where my family's, you know, where they've, you know, come from, it's, you know, it's a complex, uh, conversation (laughs) Uh, because because they've lived it. And, uh, so yeah, I, I guess that's sort of where, um, now I'm, you know, after the 2016 elections, myself and my collaborators, we wrote a Kung Fu musical uh, which is a it's a political satire. And um, and it was, you know, the 2016 elections and the climate really served as a catalyst for um, this this film. And, you know, I love uh, fun, crazy action sequences. And so mm-hmm. um, and right now, because there's a lot of polarization and division, I thought, well, what's more fun than a kung fu musical, you know, and that's awesome. And, you know, telling story through music and kung fu action <laughs> yeah. you know is it's gonna be great so yeah that's that's where where we're at right now so yeah so you're working on that right now that's that's yes we're we actually completed a 145 page script and 14 original wow. songs so that was like 
the last four years of just conceptualizing the world, writing the script, writing the music. And now um, we're going to launch a crowdfund campaign next week, nice. uh, October awesome. 6th. And hopefully it goes well. I've never used Indiegogo or, you know, I've used Kickstarter for other projects, but it wasn't my project. I was, helping, right. you know. You're so, helping other, yeah, you're part of yeah. someone else's project that was using that. Yeah. So we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really familiar with what will and will not work. All I have is kind of research behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, but putting that research, you know, into application will be a whole other thing. So we'll see. Well, we will have that link down below. Uh, by okay. the time this comes out, you yeah. should be you should be in crowdfunding. So we'll be able yes, to put that yeah. down below for people to see it. Awesome. Um, give some advice for people. I've already asked you to do it before, but um, um, as we're coming here kind of towards the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. um, some advice for people, just creatives in the world and and pursuing their passions. What would you What would you give uh, give advice for them? I think. And it, I think uh, follow your gut. You know, if, Mm -hmm. you know, if something instinctually feels right, even if it doesn't make sense at all, you know, um, go with it. Um, Let yourself explore that, even if it doesn't like lead to um, something right away. I feel like that's an important part of the journey is just Mm -hmm. like allowing yourself to experience that creative process. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had, I think, you know, for me, I've had successes. I've had lots of failures. Um, in my mind, success doesn't always amount to monetary value, um, Mm. or like a cash investment for me. A Mm. lot of times the, um, the biggest value I've gotten out of a creative journey is the experience, you know, Mm. such as traveling or meeting, um, some really special people that I felt like I was just meant to meet. Um, so I think keeping, keeping that sort of, I guess, value. I don't know if I'm answering the question. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, uh, am, that, I, am I answering I, that the makes, question? <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. No, that makes yeah. complete sense. Um, I think that following your journey and living in that moment and not just, not just always looking at the end goal. Yeah. Concentrate on what you're doing now, live in that moment and learn it. It's kind of with my YouTube channel right now. I'm making these videos mm-hmm. and I, and I always make sure that I'm making them for me mm-hmm. and I'm making something that I enjoy to watch mm-hmm. because then maybe people will want to watch it later Yeah, and not worried about, oh, I wish I had a million subscribers, you know, or I wish I yeah. had this, you know, it's, it's, it's enjoying this right now too. Just making content here for myself and having fun with it. Yeah. So it's all a journey. I, I, somebody had told me once a, a really good mentor said, focus is following one path until successful. And I, I think there's no, when it comes to the creative fields, like, because we're creative beings, there's, everyone has a different process. Mm -hmm. And uh, just like a sculptor, you know, you have a lot of stuff that you have to chip away that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. And, um, but ultimately there is like this masterpiece, you know, inside Mm -hmm. you, you just have to keep working at it and keep chipping away, you know, the stuff that's not that you don't mm. really need and um and and sort of simplifying your process maybe i think if you if you try to keep things as simple as possible don't spend so much time juggling a million things cuz i've learned that the hard way i've juggled a million things at the same time yeah. and and i've learned for me i i do better if i just sort of pull back you know and just take things in in seasons you know mm-hmm. where it's like okay now i'm going to focus on this and that's right. what i'm focusing on and then right. pulling back from that, you know, when the seasons change and thinking, okay, now I'm going to focus on this. 
So even with like my, my training, um, I'm not, you know, I train, I move every day, but I'm not necessarily like training to up my skill level. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, all day, every day, there are times where I'll be like, okay, I'm up at five in the morning and I'm going to train for two hours in the morning. Then I'm going to train two hours in the afternoon and I'm going to train two hours in the evening. And there's seasons where I do that. Um, I call those like my temple weeks. And then, um, but I, that it's not really sustainable for me to do that, you know, every day, you know, it's a quarter, that's a quarter of your day, right? Yeah. And And, and half fits your sleeping. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) And what it does too is is I need time to be, you know, to write, you know, and Mm -hmm. to be with, you know, be with my family and, Mm -hmm. uh, prepare good, healthy food, you know, do yep. some meal planning, <laughs> yep. you know, that's all, what, all that's what me and my wife are doing here. Yeah. yeah. So it's just sort of like taking it by seasons and, and not rushing the process. Cause I think right. rushing the process can, can be a form of self-sabotage for artists. Uh, and so just being patient with yourself and being patient with yourself is, um, I know really hard for a lot of people because we feel like, Oh sure. gosh, we got to we got to um, move quick, but in which is true in some aspects you do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's seasons for that as well, but I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think I I've, I've been too many times in my creative journey, always looking at age for me, it's mm-hmm. age, right? I yeah. go, cause I'm, I'm 33 now. And I, and I look at, oh, these people are doing it at 18, you know, yeah. or they're, they're doing it at 16. And I always looked at age as like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Cause I'm never going to be a prodigy. Right. Like I'm not going to be that person that did it at starting at that age. And, and, but then I've always looked into like actors and stuff like, um, the guy from the Mandalorian, I can't think of his name right now, the main actor, but like, I mean, he didn't start acting until his Mm forties and there's like, there's a lot of, it doesn't every, like that's back to the journey. Everyone Mm -hmm. has their journey. Yeah. Live your moment and and enjoy what you're doing now because you don't know what's next and you have to just call, you have to build everything inside of you yeah and however way you're supposed to build it yeah it's not a race it's not a competition it's it's your right. journey and um i i have this amazing uh friend that i train with and she's 72 and she took up wow. becoming an aerialist like five or seven years ago and, and wow. i'm like wow you were in your 60s when you decided to become an aerialist and she's overcome tremendous you know injuries like she her back was broken. She has a cage in her back. She has, you know, this, she had so- shoulder surgery. She's had a lot of things that she's had to overcome. And I, I look at her and I get really inspired, you know, and I think yeah, like, wow, it's never too late, you know, to, to follow right. something you're passionate about. You, you don't know where that will lead either. So, um, so yeah, that's, I guess my advice is to, uh, take it in seasons, you know, and, uh, take your journey in seasons and, and enjoy that process um, don't worry too much about, you know, where you're going to be at this certain date or time, you know, by the time you're 35, you're supposed to be a millionaire or billionaire or whatever, um, you know, cause, cause that, yeah, that, you know, there's all sorts of strategies and tactics and formulas and books you can read that will, you know, assist you on achieving that outcome. And, uh, but ultimately, like life throws at you all sorts of things, you know, like this COVID mm-hmm. thing is a perfect example of that. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, every, you know, I feel like so many people were on this stride and then just like, you know, yeah. things sort of, you know, disrupted that. But at the same time, like the way like you're adapting, you know, you're taking this time to uh, build your YouTube, you know, and for me, it's like 
it gave me a chance to build more of this digital infrastructure that I've been trying to mm-hmm. build for years. So um, every season offers its own opportunity and just hanging on to that, you know, seeing the op- opportunities, seeing every obstacle as an opportunity and, um, and just moving forward. Well, I think it's well said. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. Elle. I think yeah. we're coming to the end of the podcast. I'm going to have her social medias and um, links below for the Indiegogo campaigns, everything she's doing, her dojo, um, <laughs> everything's going to be there. Um, thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Derek. Appreciate it. All right. right. This has been another podcast from Make Media Studios. Thank you and have a good day.